0: Hey, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> that was, telling folks, that was last week was the first Sunday in 10 plus years that I have ever missed unintentionally uh, a, a service. So thank you. I know Andy's not here, but thank, thank you, Andy. Thank you all who, who stepped in. Uh, Lord bless you, and I pray none of y'all get whatever's going around, because it ain't good. Um <laughs> so, where we are is we're actually uh, finishing up, as we were going to do last week, the series on hope. Um, what we've been doing is is looking at the word hope and uh, the acrostic for it, which uh, we have used in this way. The h is for hope, and the passage of scripture that uh, been using for that is jeremiah twenty nine eleven for I know the plans I have for you declares to the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Um, this hope is grounded in Scripture. That that service we looked at from the Old Testament to the New. went from 2 Chronicles through Jeremiah into the Gospels to 1 John 1, 9. And this message of hope from God, this message of an abundant life is throughout the Old to the New Testament. This is part of God's desire for us is to live out this abundant life that he offers to us. Now, I also made the point that the abundant life that I want and the abundant life that he wants is not always the same, and I'm still waiting on the million-dollar check. But... Should it ever come, I'd probably mess it up. So I'm good with the with the abundance that He gives to me—the abundance in friends and love and relationships um, that come with this life. Uh, the next week we we looked at a uh, the, that this new life requires us to be open, that we have to be open to change. That if we're going to experience a new life, that by its definition means that the old life needs to be. Adjusted or set aside as we move into this new life. The passage was from Ephesians 4. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And, and we recognize it's not an easy road to take because we're talking about setting aside a life that we've lived to embrace a new life that doesn't always show us what's next. And there's this battle that goes on inside of us between our humanity, our flesh, as Scripture would tell us, and, and, and our spirit, the part that wants the things of God. So there's the part that wants the things that it wants when it wants it. And it's a part that wants the thing of God. And this battle goes on. And I, I love the analogy of the two wolves. Uh, and they're constantly battling for our brain, for our focus, for our thought life, for our behavior. And, and, and so you've got the, the part, the flesh part that, that says, hey, we need to go do what, you know, I want to go have some fun and do whatever I want to do. And, it, and, if, and if we feed that side, it takes over. And pretty soon that's the primary thing that we're doing are the things that we want Every once in a while, though, the spiritual side will go, you know, you really ought to get it together. But it's get out of there, you know. Conversely, if we feed the things of the spirit, then the spirit side takes over. But it doesn't mean that the flesh side has gone because it will still jump in and say, hey, you ought to go do this. You know, and so this battle goes on. And the one that wins is the one that we feed. And by feed, I mean the one that we give focus to, the one that we give our time to, the one that we give our resource to, the one that we give our attention to is going to win that battle. So if I'm just focused on the things of the earth and the things that I want, that wolf is going to win. If I'm just focused on the things of the Spirit and what things that God wants, that wolf is going to win. So which one we battle or, or we feed is going to win that battle. And also talked about doing the do's of Scripture. It's one of, you know, I've preached on this before. It's one of my favorite things. Because how do you do a don't? You don't. <laughs> so... Don'ts are important, but they don't require us to do anything. (laughs) We don't do something, which leaves a hole. And what do we tend to do with holes in our life? We fill it up with something else. And if we're not paying attention to the battle, we'll fill it up with stuff that we don't need to fill it up with. So we want to fill that up with the dues of Scripture, the dues that God gives to us to help us to move along on this this right path. But is that going to be easy? No, there's going to be struggle. We're going to wrestle. And that took us to the P word, perseverance. Because if we want this hope and, and are open to this new life in Christ, then we will face struggles along the way. The battle is real. The battle is real. And so we're going to have to persevere through those struggles. But we're going to have to keep going. You Remember the slide said, don't quit, which also said do it. You know, because we want to do the do's and don't quit. The recovery term is don't quit five minutes before your miracle. Because too often folks will give up and they'll go back to drinking or drugging or an old behavior five minutes before they would have been okay. You know, so don't quit five minutes before your miracle because the miracle's coming. We have a miracle-working God who's involved in our life, who wants the abundant life for us. Don't quit. But the great news is he also gives us a toolbox. And in that toolbox, he gives us prayer. He gives us searching scripture, worship, having spiritual friends that help us on the journey, fasting generosity and service, generosity and giving of our resources, confession, forgiveness, healing, reconciliation. We have a toolbox. We have a toolbox that's there for us. And so whatever comes up in life, there's going to be a tool for it. And the great thing about having so, so many different tools, you don't know on a given day which tool I'm going to need for this. You know, and if, and if I need to hammer a nail in the wall, I probably don't need a saw to do it with. I probably need a hammer. Well, we have the kinds of tools that will help us in our journey. And I also showed a video because at the end of the day, there's going to be a time and there's going to be a struggle and there's going to be something that we need our Heavenly Father to get us to the finish line, to walk with his arm around us. And Derek Redmond in the Barcelona Olympics, when he pulled his hamstring and he wanted to finish that race and he was breaking down and his dad showed up. And his dad got on the track, and his dad put his arm around him and carried him almost to the finish line, and then his dad let him finish the race. We have a Father in heaven who will wrap his arm around you. I don't know what you're going through, but he'll wrap his arm around you. He'll walk with you. He'll carry you if need be so that you can finish the race. His love is that kind of love. His love is big, and he loves us with a, a, a beyond-our-understanding kind of love. So that brings us to today. And when I looked at E, I, I couldn't just narrow it down to one, so I ended up with two E's. Uh, I chose experience and equipment. And the reason for that, the reason for that is that our experiences in life equips us to live this new life in Christ. It is the experiences that we go through that give us the equipping To to follow through with the plan that God has for us. Our passage today is out of Corinthians. It's 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 through 11, and it reads But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, which is crazy, but we'll talk about that. Uh, (laughs) Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Is this just backwards? We'll talk about that too. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in, in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And it's actually a pretty well-known passage of Scripture: uh, "When I am weak, then I then, then I am strong." Um, but what I want to do today is I want to go deeper. you know. I want to go uh, into this passage because I think there's more to it than a, than, a, than a quick run-through will allow us. And I want to look at it from the context of experience and equipping. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. How countercultural is that statement for us in our world today? Paul tells us that while the world would have us to to define strong people in the way that it tells us to define strength, do you have a lot of money, do you have resources, Um, do you have the right skills or abilities, are you able to get through stuff, right, just kind of buckle up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get through it on your own. Never cry. That was one of ours in our family. Don't cry, you know, because if you cry, that's a sign of weakness. You know, so the world would say that, that that's not okay in my world. So we let our culture and our world define what strength is. And then we have Paul write something crazy like this. Because God is saying something very different from what the world is saying. That instead of seeking all these things of strength, we should seek grace. My grace is sufficient for you. So, Mike, what is this grace? Well, I, you know, I know you were thinking it, so I'm glad that, that you asked it because I want to answer that. Um, in Emmaus, we talk a lot about grace, and so I want to give you some information from some of that comes out of that. I want to explore this idea of what grace is is the Greek word for grace is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. And and what it really means, the definition of grace is simply gift. It is a gift of God. And you saw me, I had a a gift up here once a, a month or two ago, that had the word grace on it, and that's what it's like. God has a gift, and, and it's your gift, and it says, Lynn, and it, it's here, and it's grace, and he puts it in, in front of you and says, you know, Christmas is coming. Here's your gift for Christmas. I'm giving you this grace. Judy, here it is. It's right here. It says, Dolores, here's yours. And, and then he leaves it there because he's a gentleman. He's not going to make you open the gift. It's up to you. What am I going to do with this gift that God offers to me. It's a free gift, Christy Ray. Grace. And then it's up to us whether we accept that, whether we grab that. Because God, through Jesus Christ, offers us an incredible gift. It's a gift of a relationship that includes salvation. We are saved through grace, by faith through grace, reconciliation. There was a gap between us and God. Jesus fills that gap. Now we can be reconciled to God because of God's grace. And eternal life, which is our hope for the future. All of these things come because of God's grace. Ephesians 2 reads this way. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, hear that even when we were dead through our trespasses, which means even when we were sinful. Before you got here, you don't have to get better and come. You get to come as you are. I'm not going to leave you that way, but you can come to me as you are. I'm not going to make you do anything. I want to invite you to come. I want to to woo you and to draw you to me into this relationship. But if you come, it's going to change your life. You're going to experience a new life that you've never experienced before going to be powerful. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be amazing. But you don't have to get better, and then come. One of the gr- powerful things about this particular church, y'all get that. You greet people when they walk through the door, and you, and it, it, you know I, I was watching the, the the I Love My Church preview. It's coming, and and the consistent message is, it's it's a place that that when I walked through the doors, I got hugged, I got loved on, they cared about me, I was was welcomed. And this place gets that. And that's powerful. Love people. You don't have to get better and then show up. We were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that In the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. God came off the mountain so that we wouldn't think we did it. He came down to us so that it would remove all of that. We don't earn a thing. But this amazing grace changes our heart and our life, and we do things differently, because a new life comes. We're also a United Methodist Church, and I know we don't talk a lot about that, but there's a theology that comes with that, and it's Wesleyan theology. John Wesley is uh, the one kind of that that he is the one that w- that we get a lot of our theology from. So it's important, I think, to talk about grace from in a Wesleyan way. And the way that we look at it in our theology in the United Methodist Church is that while it's one grace, it has different facets to it. But the primary thing, and I'm going to say this probably about five more <laughs> times, uh, all grace is God's grace. It's one grace. It's not multiple graces. It's one grace. But it can be viewed differently. So we have what's called prevenient grace. Now, provenient comes from a Latin word, it's pravenere, which means simply to come before. Provenient grace is the grace that comes before any choice that we make, any action that we take. It's available to everybody right now. God's grace is available. You don't have to be a believer for God's grace to be available to you because it's available. Provenient grace is the way we look at that, that God's grace is always available to us. God is trying to draw us Trying to woo us into relationship with him. He wants to have that relationship. And that prevenient grace is the way that we look at that original grace that drew us to him. There's also justifying grace. And justifying grace is that moment, right, when we we say yes. We say yes to the offer of salvation. We say yes to the offer of reconciliation. We say yes to the offer of eternal life. And and that's known as justifying grace in, in our theology. It's, it's, well, I've heard it said it's made just as if I had never sinned because Jesus takes all that on. Justifying grace, and you can call it conversion, being born again, salvation. I don't care what you call it. It's the moment of yes when we say yes to him. And then after that, we have what we call sanctifying grace because it doesn't end there. In fact, that's, not, that's a beginning more than anything else. So we are being, tra- Paul wrote, we are being, being changed from glory to glory. And as we journey forward in our life, this process, is I know it's a churchy word, sanctification, but it's a good word because it, it, it's a word that, that's important to us. We are being made more and more set apart, more and more like God, more and more holy, more and more of what he would have us to be in this process of sanctification. So it would be easy to go, oh, well, that's three graces. But all grace is God's grace. It's one grace that can be looked at in different ways. I like this because it, it, it helped me to understand. So this is a prism with a, with a light, one light shining through the prism. But if I look at it from this side, I see all that pr- those purples and the yellows and, 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 and all of those colors coming out of it. But if I'm over here, I, I see, wow, there's a green and it's longer and it's... Got that deep purple. I like that, that that color. And if I look at the top, it's yellows and greens. But it's one light shining through a prism. But depending on where I am, where I am on my journey, so to speak, I will see that one light in a different way. But it doesn't change that it's one light. All grace is God's grace. All grace is God's grace. By focusing on the gift of God, this amazing grace. Mike, you ought to write a song. <laughs> By focusing on this gift, this charis, this, this, this grace that comes from God, we will find ourselves less drawn to the strengths that the world is trying to move us towards. But Paul didn't stop there, right? He, he goes on, he says, My power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. That's crazy. That makes no sense. Does that make sense, Drew? My power is made perfect in weakness? How can that even be? If I'm in weakness, how can I have power? It's the opposite of what the world tells us. But it's what he's saying, and if we think about it, what he's saying is that our weaknesses are to be desired if we really want to be perfected. Weird, isn't it? It's just weird. But here's the Greek. Sometimes I get confused about stuff. I go, okay, what's it say in the other language? And it says, my dunamis. That's power. My dunamis. Dynamic. My dynamite. My power. My dunamis. Say it with me. It's fun. Dunamis. Yeah, isn't that great? My power. My dunamis is made teleos, which, du- which, which is Uh, Often translated it perfect, but you know what it really means? Mature, complete. My power is made mature and complete in my asthenia. Translated here, weakness. But you know what it also means? My struggles, my trials, my difficulties. It puts a little bit of a different flavor on it. It says that my my dunamis is made teleos, complete and mature in my trials and my struggles. When I go through trials and struggles, it's an opportunity for me to experience the power of God and be made complete because it's not my power. It's his power. And that is true power. That is true power. So one way to look at that is that my experiences are essential to equipping me to live the way that God wants me to live in a world that wants to take me in a whole different direction, wants me to see strength wholly different than God does, wants me to see weakness wholly different from God. All of those trials in your life and my life, every single one of them that we persevere through, each of them become experiences that equip us to fulfill the call of God in our life. Here's the strength of it we don't need to think of them as negative anymore because what happens because of God's grace is that God will turn all of those negatives into a positive for him and it's this it kind of mind blowing but it's it's critical Our experience, another way to put it, our experiences in life are essential to equipping us to live the way God wants us to live in a world that seeks to rob us of that, to rob us of our relationship with God and take us in an ungodly direction. Here's what else it means. Every single thing that you've been through can and will be used by God if, and this is a huge if, if we're willing and open enough to let God use us and we don't hide all of our struggles from one another, to be a place of healing, which I'm beginning to see more and more is what Arbor Point's all about, to be a place of healing. See, our hope is found when we're open enough to trust that God's going to use each of our times of perseverance, as an experience that equips us to reach people who are going through similar stuff. Because that's who God is. That's what he wants. He wants us to help one another. Paul didn't end, though. He said, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. This is a lot harder than it is when you just read, read through it really fast. <laughs> See, Paul embraced these so-called weaknesses so that God could use him in whatever way that God would, in whatever circumstance that he found himself in, and he found himself in a lot of different circumstances. And it's difficult for us to do, but I can get a glimpse of the freedom that would come in my life, if I were able to do this, because I wouldn't try to do battle with all the challenges, but embrace them as part of God's plan. Now, now I know that some of those challenges would come from me, but God will still use those in order to accomplish his will. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. See, if I embrace these, these as okay, then I would look for opportunities to share what God has done in my life. And y'all know that I'm a recovering alcoholic and addict who wrestles with depression and all kind of other stuff. Let me tell you about why I'm open with that. I don't get into details of it because that's not necessary. But I will tell you why I'm open with that is that God has literally used the fact that I'm open with that thousands of times in my recovery to impact my life and the lives of others. See, because of those experiences, I am uniquely equipped to reach a certain specific group of people with a message of hope that he has for them and for me because it reinforces it for me and and my job is to be available to go through that and for me that particular group often thinks God has deserted them that God doesn't care about them that God ha- doesn't want anything to do with them but here's the other thing every single one of us in this room has experiences that equip you to do the same thing just in a different area. Every one of us in here. And and so, again, it shows us what will happen if the healthy body of Christ lives into the calling that each of us has and makes ourselves available for God to use us, the impact that that will have in our community. If we look around, even among us, there's probably not many, if any, issues that we have not gone through. What if we said yes to Jesus in a way that allows him to use those instead of us hiding behind them? You want to impact this community? I do. And that's one of the ways that we're going to do it. You're important. I'm important. We are important. The body of Christ. Needs you and me to show up. To show up for duty. For when I am weak, then I am strong. <coughs> just think, if we tro- stop trying to be so strong of ourselves, we must might just find real strength in Jesus Christ. And we might experience the kind of joy that No one and nothing can rob us of it.
1: There's revival and it's red Like a wildfire in my heart Sunday morning, hallelujah And it's lasting a week long Can you feel it, can you hear it It's the rhythm of the gospel song Once you choose it, you can't lose it There ain't nothing, there ain't nothing Gonna steal my joy I've got an old church choir singing In my soul, I've got a sweet salvation and it's beautiful I've got a heart overflowing cause I've been restored there ain't nothing gonna stay Need. All you'll ever need. Clap your hands and stomp your feet till you find that God will be. It's all you'll ever need. It's all you'll ever need. Yeah. Did you know that? I've got an old church choir singing in my soul. I've got a sweet salvation and it's beautiful. I've got an old church choir singing. I've got a sweet salvation and it's beautiful. I've got a heart overflowing because I've been restored. There ain't nothing going to steal my joy. No, there ain't nothing going to steal my joy. There ain't nothing going to steal my joy. The
0: world wants to steal your joy. Don't let it. See, it wants to reinterpret all the things of God and turn them into things that God never meant them to be. Be weak. (laughs) Be weak so that you can be strong. That's how this works. And I love that song. It's so, you know, yeah. But here's the thing. We need those kinds of moments in our life, but that doesn't come from a surface level of faith. It comes from being willing to go deep, from being willing to go into uncharted waters. So if you'll stand and join with the band, we're going to take a walk on the ocean.